Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 7th, 2021, we continue our new series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, The Committed Life, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Enjoy. You know, the truth is, if you're going to do anything well, if you're going to succeed at anything of significance at all, you're going to have to be committed to it. For example, getting married. Getting married is not about getting someone to say yes and then getting you know, to the, the altar and put a ring on and then you just kind of check the box and that's it. You're talking about two people that are committing to spend their lives together, getting to know one another and serve one another and how does that all really work out together and then all of a sudden children come along and now you've got this, this other thing. Now, you know, you've just sort of figured out how to live together and now you've got to sort of figure out how is, you know, we're going to do with this little, this little child here and everything that the earth is, you know, the world is bombarding them with, how do we help them fit into to life and become who God wants them to be? Maybe it's your career. You know, if you really want to, you know, advance in your career, you know, you're really going to have to probably work more hours. You're going to have to learn a lot of different jobs and, you know, take advantage of the opportunities. Maybe that means travel. It means taking some risks. And it's tough. Sports. There might have been a day, you know, when, when you could be good enough at sports that you could just play like three major sports in high school and never even work at it whatsoever, but those days are gone. They don't exist any longer today. I mean, today, you know, kids specialize so much because they're all in these lessons and playing for these travel teams, and I mean, they just, it just raises up higher and higher the expectations of what they can do. The arts. Music. I mean, you watch a band come up here and it maybe looks like they're just standing here doing this, but I tell you, the work that goes into being able to do that with timing and hand-eye coordination and playing with other people and being able to sound good, it's a lot. All of it requires sacrifice. Just like our faith. If we're really gonna trust the Lord, really going to walk with the Lord, really be pleasing to the Lord, it's going to require sacrifice, a commitment. You know, no one ever said that living the committed Christian life was easy. In fact, the Bible actually even says the opposite. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The committed life is not easy but it is the life that God calls us to. It is the life that by faith, at some point in your life, you were birthed into by belief. Now, you ever heard of Dr. David Livingston? First hour, after the first hour, he had a couple come up and they were related to, you know, Dr. David Livingston. Livingston was a famous Scottish explorer and physician who actually went to Africa as a missionary, he was sent there by a missions organization. He went there to share the gospel, that was the great love of his life. Uh, But he also went there to to care for the the sick and the hurting and he was incredibly instrumental, you know, in in Botswana and that area there about stopping the African slave trade that was sending out, you know, Africans as slaves into the Arab world. The guy was just on fire. While he was there, the mission agency that sent him out they wanted to get involved. 
They saw what was happening. He was going from sort of tribe to tribe and village to village and he would go there and he would work really hard to learn how to to, uh, translate the scriptures into the language of the people. And so the missions agency decided what we're gonna do is we're gonna send more people out to help him in the translation process. So they sent him a letter and they said this, have you found a good road yet where you are? If so, we wanna send others to join you. Livingston wrote back, if you have others who will come only if we have good roads, I don't want them. I want only those who would come if they have no roads at all. That's commitment. For Livingston, the committed life included the sacrifice of of leaving the comforts of home. The passage we're going to be looking at this morning in chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, sort of gives us a picture of the committed life through Paul's eyes. It's not the life that every person who says they are a Christian lives, but it should be. Paul's going to introduce a brand new word here, too, the word hope. You know, if you take that word hope, and I, if, if I just, you know, off the top of my head say, well, what's the typical human, you know, what does that word really mean? Most of us would probably say wish. I hope, I wish. It's kind of like buying a lottery ticket. Well, I hope I win, but we don't believe we will. Right? The biblical definition, though, is way different than the human, you know, definition of the word. The biblical definition of hope is trust. It's a confident expectation Paul will use this word regarding his goal and his hope is to honor God with his life or even potentially, if it comes to that, his death. Now, you gotta remember the context here is that Paul is in a tough spot. His, his hope could have easily been sapped. He's in prison, can't be happy about that, can't be happy about being chained up and never been able to choose the things of your life, never been able to choose where you wanna go, who you wanna be around, never been able to choose you know, what you wanna eat. Can you imagine in this day and age, you having to eat the same thing, the same slop that they decide they're gonna give you every single day? Plus, we know that from the passage that there were people, at least last week, we saw that there were people that didn't like him. In fact, they hated him. And then he suffers from loneliness. I mean, we know from other books that that there were times that Paul would write, he said, I just long to see you. I mean, he's lonely, He's, he's locked up. But Paul is committed to Jesus and his love for Christ would lead him to live a committed life, regardless of the cost. So let's jump into the passage here. Why don't you follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 19. Paul writes and he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now what Paul's gonna do here, he's gonna give us three aspects of the committed life. The first thing he's gonna tell us here in verses 19 through 20 is the committed life is marked by confidence. It's marked by confidence in Jesus. Go back to verse 19, he says, for I know that my, through, through my, your prayers and the help of the Spirit, it will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, Paul believes that God is going to deliver him. He's confident of that. But remember, where he's at is not really a good place. He doesn't have the choice to leave there. He's in prison. And by the way, the person that he will go before, the emperor that he'll go before, the Caesar that he'll go before is Nero. Now, if you know anything about history, you'll know that Nero is really famous for, first of all, hating Christians. He would take Christians and he would tie them up to posts and he would put tar on them and he would light them on fire and use them to light up his Christmas parties. And yet Paul still believes I'm gonna be okay. He's so confident, and you see why. In verse 19, he gives two reasons. He says, first of all, I know that through your prayer, so in other words, he mentions here is, look, I know the church is praying for me. You know, I gotta be honest with you, that is a great encouragement. When someone says to me, hey, Bob, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, I can't tell you, you, can give, you cannot give me a better thing than that right there. If you're praying for me, if you stop, literally, and you come before the creator of the universe and mention my name, I'm pretty happy. That's about as good as it gets. I believe God uses the prayers of his people in a very powerful way. And so here's Paul knowing, he says, look, I, I've got this confidence because I know the people are praying for me, but I also know that the Holy Spirit is at work. And Paul would be a guy that he's experienced the Holy Spirit working before. He knows that the Holy Spirit has delivered him at times in his life when things were not good. In fact, keep your finger here and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few pages over. Starting with verse 24, listen to what Paul has to say here about what he actually went through here and that God would ultimately deliver him from. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one, in other words, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the, in the sea on frequent journeys and dangers of rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, a lot of danger, right? In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I mean, obviously this guy has been through a lot and yet God has always delivered him. And in verse 20 he tells us that it's his hope, his trust, that God will do it again. Now how does that happen? How do you develop that type of trust in God? You know, I think it a lot, has a lot to do with what we believe about God. For example, if you're sitting here and you think, well, you know what, I've, I've prayed before, but I, I just kind of feel like God doesn't listen to my prayers. 
probably going to be very difficult for you to have faith and trust and hope. But if you pray and you believe that God cares about you, that's going to be different. You know, a little over a year and a half ago, we were in our series in the book of Genesis. And if you can think back and remember as we started the book of Genesis, you know, one of the things that we noticed was not just that God is powerful, not just he's the creator of all things, but he's also personable and knowable. I mean, literally, God is a relational God. He lives in relationship. He exists in relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he created us to be relational people to have a relationship with him. Paul believes that. He believes that God created him to know him. In his mind, he believes that God then wants the best, he wants a relationship, he wants to be close to him. In fact, he would go so far as to say God would even use tough situations and circumstances, any circumstance for that matter, in their life to bring them closer together. In Romans chapter eight, verse 28, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So God even takes difficult things in life and shows him that he's at work, that he cares about him. And so in verse 19, Paul says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, Paul believes that. By the, by the way, that word deliverance there is the Greek word soteria. If you have ever been to, uh, the word means salvation. That's how we translate it a lot of times. If you ever been to Bible college or seminary, one of the main you know, theology classes you would take would be soteriology and that study of salvation. But it also means deliverance and that's how God uses it here. So don't get lost on it. Paul's point is this present situation, him being in chains is temporary. Verse 20, longer he says, I, one way or another, God is going to deliver me either by released from jail or by being released from this life. But it's pretty clear if you look at verse 19, he's expecting he's gonna be released from prison. Now, the second thing he's gonna say here is the committed life is guided by a creed. Guided by a creed. Look what he says in verses 20 and 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be at all ashamed but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, verse 20 says it is hope, his confidence is he's not gonna be ashamed of his testimony of Christ, that Jesus is gonna be exalted, honored in his physical life. You know, when I first read that, I think, you know, I, I started asking around for people, how do you think that happens? And a couple of different people actually said, you know, said, well, do you think that that's really true? Do you think that God, I mean, God, could be honored by your physical life? The answer is yes. Keep your finger here and go back to the left and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse one, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If it's worship, it must be a good thing. Go over to the right a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter six. 
Paul writes these words and he says, in verse, starting in verse 19, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, therefore so, it says, glorify God in your body. So absolutely, God can receive honor and glory for what happens in our bodies. So Paul's desire here is to live the committed life to honor God, whether it happens by his life in his body or it even happens by his death. And this wasn't just a new thing. It wasn't like, well, I'm, I'm getting old, so it's good if I die, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Five or six years before, he even wrote to the Philippians. He wrote something to the, the, the church, the elders in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it records it. It says this, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I just want to live this life God called me to live. That's what I want. That's commitment. Now that type of commitment is what will lead him to having a creed. The creed here is verse 21. Let me read that one more time for you. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Many people that I know would say that is the most important verse in all the letter. For all basic purposes, this is Paul's mission statement. Now, I was trying to think, how would I explain what that really is? A mission statement is a little bit like a compass for my life that basically tells me where my energy and my schedule need to go. That's what it is. It's a compass for my life. Now, if you're gonna succeed at anything, like I said earlier, anything of significance, anything that we feel is important, you're gonna need that compass. You're gonna need a plan. You're gonna need a mission statement. And that includes our faith. Now the question is, do you believe that your relationship with Jesus is important enough to adopt a mission statement of your own? See, I think we should. Let me give you an example. Go over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and we're gonna look at verses 34 through 38. Now let me set this up for you. Jesus here has just had a confrontation with two large sort of religious groups there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay. Now in this confrontation, they, they sort of get shut down by him and they decide they're gonna send someone that's better at this debating thing than the rest of them in the whole up forward to see him. Verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responded, verse 37, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You ever wonder why you always see up there, it says our mission statement on both sides, love God, love people, make disciples. 
It starts with the single most important thing that Jesus wants you to know. If you don't love me first, something is wrong. It starts with putting him first. In fact, verse 38 makes it clear. It's the great and the first commandment. You're supposed to love God with everything that there is inside of us. Now, if you think about that then, wouldn't that, wouldn't it be right then if, if the greatest love of your life, would that not be creed worthy? Paul thought so. That's why he would say verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Powerful statement. In fact, you want to know how really powerful it is? In the original language, the verbs aren't in the, in, the, in the sentence in the original language. So if you take out the is, those are the verbs there. This is how it reads. To live, Christ. To die, gain. You're not going to say that if you don't put Jesus as the priority of your life. If Jesus is secondary, you don't say that. If Jesus is just eternal life insurance that you're you know, sort of banking on so you don't end up in hell, you won't say that. The only way you say that, the only way you make that your creed or your mission is if you actually love Jesus more than anything else. Now, there's a third thing here, okay? It's very clear here that when he wants to be clear here that, that our lives, when we really decide we're gonna live a committed life is our lives are marked by a confidence in God and it's guided by a creed, a set of beliefs that just guide our lives. But thirdly, he tells us here in verses 22 through 26 that the committed life is fueled by a conviction. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now verse 22 through 24, what it does is it presents a dilemma for Paul. Do I live or do I die? Now for most of us, that would not be a dilemma at all. Most people would say, hey, I don't want to die. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to hang on to life as long as I possibly can. You don't see that in Paul. And Paul's not a sadist. He's not hoping for death. But he's also not so enamored with this life that he doesn't think about the next life. Verse 22, Paul is clear here. Living has its advantages. It will mean fruitful labor. It means ministry. It's gonna be serving. And he's torn between these two choices. In verse 23, he says, I could, I, there's part of me that wants to, to depart, to die, and go be with the Lord because everything I believe about being in heaven with him is better. 
But then in verse 24, he says, but they also want to remain and live and to be able to serve others and do what God wants me to do. In fact, it's such a big deal that in verse 23, he feels like he says, I'm hard-pressed. It's the picture of, of someone that walks into, like, like, a, like a, a walls are just coming up inside and they get closer and closer and you can't even turn. You either choose to go backwards or forwards. But because Paul's number one desire is to live the committed life, he places the needs of others and the plan of God ahead of his own desire. God's agenda takes precedent over his agenda. And so verse 24, he says he will remain. It's more necessary on your account. Now, you know what that tells me is Paul here is acknowledging the fact that he has a purpose for being here in life. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or or not, but every single believer in Jesus has a purpose. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it tells us very clearly that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God appointed beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us to be his servants. You say, well, what does that mean? It means if you are a believer and you're breathing right now, you have a purpose in life. You go, well, what is it? What's my purpose? I'm gonna help you with that one, here it is. It's always the gospel, always. It's never not the gospel. I wanna be clear about that. You say, well, look, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't have the spiritual gift of, of evangelism. I'm not, I'm, I stumble with my words. I, I get nervous really easily. I'm not good like that. Couldn't I just you know, be the one that digs the ditches or can I write a check or uh, you know, I'll, I'll help, you know, I'll rock the babies, whatever. What is it you want me to do? And listen, God's gonna spiritually gift you for all of those things and that's great. You may not have the gift of evangelism. That's awesome, wonderful. Do what God's made you to do, but you carry around with you by birth, spiritual birth, the gospel. That story is the life-changing story of all time. That belongs to every single believer. Every believer. The gospel is always a part of our purpose, and if it isn't, you're not living the committed life. In fact, let me take it even a step further. I almost didn't even want to say this, but in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, such an important verse in the Gospels. You know why? Because it tells you Jesus' mission verse. Jesus' purpose tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, let's not go too far here and make sure that we, we, we sort of put this all together. If my Savior... If my king, if the one that I trust to take me into eternity and and make me a part of his family, if, if he has a mission statement and that mission statement includes the gospel and I'm called, according to 2 Corinthians 5, to be an ambassador for him, then the gospel is mine too. Even if I'm not great at it, it's mine It's every single believer's responsibility. 
Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul writes and he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Convinced of what? Convinced of the fruitful labors he was talking about back in verse 20, true. I know then, he says, I'm gonna do this labor stuff, so I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna stay with you. That is what the committed life does. It puts my purpose, which is to serve the Lord, ahead of my desire. By the way, living the committed life is not a bad thing. I do not want you to go, oh, then you're completely missing it, completely. Paul writes here in verse 25, and he's excited about God's agenda because he gets to see the joy that happens in the faith. You know, do you know interesting, when, you, when all the people came up here that are going on the missions trip, 32 or so many are going up here on the, on the missions trip, 10 of them are brand new. They've never been on a trip. Do you know what that tells me? 22 of them said, I gotta do that again. It's that good. It's that amazing. It's that wonderful. To be the, the hands of God, to have God use you at that moment. You wanna talk about feeling your purpose in life? It never gets better than that, never than to be able to let God use you at that moment. And so Paul's excited about it when he writes. I, I'm excited about what's gonna happen. He gets to see God use him with the, the Philippians and then respond to the gospel and grow and become who, who God is intended for them to be. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and, and, and join me here. While they do, let me ask you a question. What's your mission statement? It's very possible that most of you would say, I don't have one. But if you were to take a survey of your life, what is your mission statement then? Not what's written down, but what is real? Paul's mission statement here for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If you don't have one, could I encourage you? This is a great place to start. A great place to start. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter your circumstances in life. Grant and Christiane Walsh are a part of our fellowship. They, they left as missionaries and they've gone off to Thailand. Officially, they went there to open up a coffee shop and a bakery. Do you want to know what they do? They start a Bible study, and then they start rescuing women out of the sex slave trade, and then they give them a job in the coffee shop and the bakery. That's living the committed life. You say, I don't, I, I don't think I could do that. I can't go overseas or I, physically, I don't know if I could do that. Okay, I'll give you another one. A couple years back, I got called to a hospital call and I went in to see a lady in this nursing home that was 90 years old and she was bedridden, could not get out of the bed. And I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm, I'm shallow enough to go, oh man, what am I gonna say to a 90-year-old lady that can't get out of the bed? How do I encourage her, you know? Saying, I walk into the room and I've never been so encouraged and built up in my whole life. 
as what that woman did. I said, what do you do all day? I mean, you can't move. What do you do all day? She goes, I pray. I'm a prayer warrior. It didn't take very long for me to realize that all the years of Bible college and seminary I had were really like this compared to this woman's walk with the Lord. She knew Jesus. And she prayed for people to come to the Lord, for their hearts to, to change, for the hardness to get soft, and for, for people's marriages to come back together. And everybody that walked into the room, she told about Jesus. And I, I remember asking her, well, do you desire to go be with the Lord? Of course I do. And then she quoted these verses. But I have fruitful labors to perform right now until God's ready for me. She's living the committed life right now. Different maybe than the Walshes are living, but just as committed. So here's the question. What about you? What does your mission statement in life say? Please tell me that it's more than just, hey, I just want to retire peacefully on a small street and, and vacation for the rest of my life. I'm not sure that that's why Jesus came to die on a cross for us to do that. Nothing wrong with retiring as long as you retire with the idea of, well, it just gives me more time to tell people about Jesus. Then that's okay. What is your mission statement what does the committed life for you look like would you pray with me father would you move in our hearts in such a way that we cannot use the convenience that this world puts around us to escape you. But because we love you, Lord, and we know that you love us, Lord, help us to wrestle with who you want us to be so that we might honor you with all the days of our lives. It's not something that we did in the past and we don't do anymore, but we honor you with everything that we have. Would you move in our hearts in that way, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I cannot tell you what your exact purpose entails fully, but I can tell you that it entails the gospel. It's that important. Don't miss what happens when God is doing something amazing and you get to be there and a part of it all. You don't want to miss that. It's important then at that point that you come along and, and this commitment that you have, it's marked by a confidence in the Lord. It's guided by a creed. It, it's fueled by conviction. It will change everything in your life. And so I have one thing I'm gonna ask you to do this week. I'm asking you to get on your knees every single day multiple times a day if you can and ask God one question. The question is not, do you want me to live the committed life? The question is, how, God, do you want me to live this committed life? You show me how and I'll do it.
And you know what? I believe God will bless you in ways you have no idea. You're gonna feel the satisfaction of being a worker in God's kingdom exactly like you were created to be. God bless you. Love you all. Have a good day.